0: sorry hold on one second better now great good morning UPC my name is Jason and I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you this morning Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 17 invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles before we jump in last time I preached I forgot to give the kids a word of the day and my kids always keeping me honest reminded me of this so I'm just gonna confess publicly my oversight and repent. And we do have a word of the day for you guys. It's gonna be prayer. Pray, prayer, praying, prayer, any kind of combination. If you're like my kids, they take and do a little tick mark every time you hear the word, and then they compare with each other how many they heard. So if you want to follow along with the word of the day, it's prayer. And before I read, I wanted to share a story from the pages of history. The year was 712 BC. And Assyria was the greatest nation in the world at that time. And they had the most ferocious army in the world. Their brutality knew no bounds. And they would often make sport of their enemies in the most inhumane ways. And they were feared throughout all the known world. Now I'd like you to imagine that that army, the greatest and most ferocious army of the day, is at your doorstep. You see, that's exactly where King Hezekiah found himself. We read of it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Ten years earlier, another king of Assyria had captured ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. If you remember, the kingdom was divided, Israel was in the north, Judah was in the south. Well, Israel came in and took all of them slaves, took them away from their homes. And that's what this king wanted to do to Judah, Jerusalem. And So he went on the march. And he captured several fortified cities in Judah. And King Hezekiah is scared out of his wits. So he writes a letter to the king and he says, we'll give you anything you want, just tell us, please, please spare us. And so the king of Assyria comes up with some outrageous number. He says, I'll leave you alone if you give me 22,500 pounds of silver and 2,250 pounds of gold. Well, Hezekiah, he does everything he can to come up with this money. He takes all of his own personal wealth. And then to his own shame, he robs the temple of God. He steals all of the gold and silver in there. He comes up with the amount, gives it to the king and says, please now just leave us alone. Well, the king of Assyria said, my goodness, if they have this much money, they can just give away. How much more might be in the city? So he continued to march to take over. Jerusalem. Well, then he gets to the gates and he speaks not in his own language, but he speaks in Hebrew so that all can hear. And he says these words, your God has sent us to destroy you unless you surrender. Do not trust your king if he tells you that God will deliver you, for no God can deliver you out of our hands. What would you have done in that situation? You've already given a fortune of silver and gold to no avail. You've tried for peace, but there will be no peace. So you can surrender or you can die. Those are the two options that the king has for you. And don't think for a moment you can muster your own army to fight that army. What would you do? Well, King Hezekiah took the third option. And that was to cry out to the Lord in prayer. Why didn't he do that in the beginning? Why did he give so much money in the first place when he could have cried out to God? I think he was scared. I think he didn't know how to fix the problem and he thought he could save the day on his own. But it became abundantly clear it became obvious that he could not deliver himself or God's people and so he went to the Lord in prayer and that night God sent the angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord struck down 1,800 or 1,085,000 Assyrian soldiers Judah was saved if you're like me I think too often we don't pray like we should, and we don't pray because we think we can handle this life on our own. But there are times when God makes it clear, this is more than I can handle. I need deliverance. That's why we're going to look at this psalm this morning. That's what this psalm has for us. But before we read it, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord we praise you and thank your name for this word your word that you've given us that we might know you better and be changed by you we pray for deliverance this morning a deliverance from anything that might keep us from wholeheartedly pursuing you and worshiping you glorifying your holy name I pray that you would set our eyes on Christ this morning Set our affections on him, and I pray that your word would inflame our hearts toward you. Give us a passion that affects how we live our lives, and do so through the preaching of your word, we pray. For your kingdom's sake, for your glory, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I'd ask you all to give your special attention to the reading of God's word. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word given to us that we might know the living and true God and grow closer to Him. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17 of the book of Psalms. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, Let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet Have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence. My deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have cast their eyes, they have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied. With your likeness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in our passage this morning, we hear reasons that King David gives asking for the Lord to answer his prayers. And I don't want you to think first and foremost as um, trying to plead a case, like David is a teenager and he's trying to convince his parents, tip the scales. God knows what David wants. I, I think, first and foremost, what King David is doing is he's sharing his heart with God. You see, he's not just telling God what he wants, he's saying why he wants it. And I think our motivations can show us a lot. And so he's, he's sharing this with God, he's, he's sharing why he wants his prayers to be answered. So I have a four-point outline this morning. Three of them are going to be reasons why God should answer this prayer, and the last one is going to be hope, David's hope of final deliverance. So again, three points of why he should be delivered, and then lastly, the hope of his final deliverance. The first reason we see in verses one through five. And that reason is David's cause is just and he is innocent. David's cause is just and he is innocent. Look with me again at verses one through five. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from the lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the work of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the way of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Now, at first glance, this appeal might sound very strange to you. Strange if you know the Apostle Paul's writings that none of us are good, no one is righteous, no not one. The Bible is clear that we have all broken God's perfect law. We have all fallen short of God's glory. So where does King David get off saying these things? Well, Let me put it this way. Have you ever had someone gossip about you? Completely make up something, a falsehood, a lie, like not even 1% true. Well, imagine that that's happening in your life and it's, it's causing havoc in your life. Could you not say with a clear conscience, in this matter, as God is my witness, I am innocent. You see, King David is not claiming sinlessness here. He's not claiming perfection. He's not innocent of every law against, every crime against God's law. But in this matter, in the matter of his enemies, their cruel lies against him, he can cry out with a clear conscience and say to the Lord, look upon my cause for it is just and deliver me according to, my innocence but i think there's more than just that david uses very strong language doesn't he he says you have tested me and you will find nothing my steps have held fast to your path my feet have not slipped i think we have to ask ourselves a very interesting question this morning i don't know if you've ever asked this question before but does your personal holiness affect the effectiveness of your prayers? Let me say that again. Does your personal holiness have anything to do with the effectiveness of your prayers? If you're familiar at all with the reign of of Judah, we've already looked at King Hezekiah, but Judah's kings were all over the map, right? It It was a roller coaster ride of faithfulness. Some of them were faithful to the Lord, some of them were not. They worshipped false gods, the God of the nations. And Isaiah records a time when God's people, who were being extremely unfaithful to him, cried out to the Lord in prayer. And I want you to hear how God answered them. This is from Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Wow. Did you catch that? Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you that's scary that's scary isn't it that when we pray we should search our hearts and we should ask ourselves are we going to God in innocence not in sinlessness not in perfection but are we going to the Lord without hypocrisy Willie Mays was a a famous baseball player. He, He played in the 50s, in the 60s, and into the 70s. He played for the Mets. He played for the Giants. And when he played for the Giants, he had a manager who was a Christian. And this manager would often tell people about Jesus. But no one would listen to him. And no one listened to him because everyone knew that he was cheating on his wife with a flight attendant. And you see, his hypocrisy ruined his witness for Christ. And his hypocrisy ruined his prayer life. Do you approach the Lord with a clear conscience? If not, repent this day. Go before him with sorrow and confession. We turn to the Lord for forgiveness of sins... By faith and faith alone. But that faith, genuine faith, is a repenting faith. Oh, that the Lord would teach his people, me included, to repent often, to repent quickly. We must turn from our sins and by the Spirit put them to death. So search your heart when you pray. May you not just talk the talk. But may you walk the Christian walk. Second point this morning. King David appealed to God with the character of God. Second point, the character of God. We see this in verses 6 through 8. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Why did David cry out to God? Well, several reasons, but one we see in verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me. My high school years were pretty rough. I was not a Christian at the time, and my parents and I did not see eye to eye very often. Uh, We butted heads a lot. My mother is actually listening to the sermon right now. She can attest to it. Um, I, I loved my independence, and my parents loved to point out that I was not yet independent. So there was conflict. But I knew, even then, that when push came to shove, if I really needed them, they would be there for me. Because they loved me. And David knew that he could call upon the Lord and that the Lord would answer him because God loved him. Now God's timetable is not always our timetable. Don't think that's a shock to anyone here. There are probably times that you have prayed and you felt like it wasn't doing any good. Sometimes God tells us to wait. That is his answer, wait. Other times he sees your desire, he hears your prayer, but in his wisdom he knows that's not what's best for you. So he answers no. No. But if the answer is yes, if the answer is wait, if the answer is no, he is still answering you because he loves you. I love verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. My friends, if you are in Christ Jesus this morning by faith, know that you are precious in his sight. Did you know that all of heaven rejoiced the day that you came to know Christ in a saving way? The whole host of heaven rejoiced and exclaimed when you went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And even today, still you are precious in the Lord's sight. He is rejoicing over you. Remember the great love and character of God when you pray. May it be part of your appeal when you pray. Because we serve a God of love, may that that love fuel your prayers. Third point this morning. King David's third appeal is based on the danger that he was in. The danger that he was in. I'm not going to spend as much time on this point because it overlaps with the previous point. But look with me at verses 9 through 12. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground like a lion eager to tear. As a young lion lurking in ambush. I have five children. And we have had a um, fair share of emergency hospital visits. And I'll never forget the very first one we ever experienced. Alex, our oldest, was very young. I think he was about like two maybe, less than that maybe. And he had a 105 degree fever. Fever. And we did all that we could to bring it down, and it it was so scary. It's scary to watch your little child who you love hurting. And there have been other trips with other children, but each time your heart goes out to the one that you love. Parents, if you've been in the same position, you'll know what it's like to have your heart moved with compassion and pity. Well, friends, if that's true for earthly parents, how much more so of our heavenly Father? So David recounts the wickedness of men, but not a general wickedness, a wickedness that is aimed in coming down on him, his or God's own son. It, it, it's coming down on him. And this appeal is appeal for God to see the pain of a child of God and to be delivered from it. Now, my guess is, is that not many, if any of you, have human enemies that are seeking your life. If you do come up afterward, I'd love to hear the story. But that does not mean that you don't have enemies. Perhaps because of your faith in Christ, you have those who have set against you to make your life a living hell even if you don't have human enemies we all share a great enemy Satan himself the Bible describes him as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and I assure you that he wants to discourage you beat you down And make you ineffective for the kingdom of God, and he will use any means to do so. There's a verse in, a couple of verses in James chapter 1 that I've always found very easy to say, fairly easy to believe, but very hard to put into practice. This is from James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I said earlier that one reason we don't pray like we should is because we think we can handle whatever life throws at us. Well, God, in his love, often has to break us of our self-reliance. And sometimes that can be very painful. Sometimes it can seem like cruelty, but I assure you, like a master surgeon, he cuts only where he needs to cut. And he cuts for our healing. So that instead of being self-reliant, we might be God-reliant. Oh friends, as God sends you these trials to refine you, do not waste them. When our enemies surround us, be the human, demonic, or just our own sin, cry out to God in prayer. He loves us, He cares for us, and He will be moved to pity and compassion. Tell Him your heartache and wait for His deliverance. My last point this morning is the hope of final deliverance. The hope of final deliverance. In our passage, we see a very sharp contrast between verses 14 and verses 15. Let me start at verse 13 for context. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. David wants deliverance from men who are men of the world whose portion is in this life. And I can assure you that is a scathing indictment. After all, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to obtain the whole world and yet to lose his soul? But that's where these men are. They look for their portion in this world and in this world alone. In many ways, God gives it to them, right? Look at the second half of verse 14. You fill their wombs with treasure. They are satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. We have a statement, crime doesn't pay. But you know what, in the short term, sometimes crime does pay. I had a friend in college, a pretty unscrupulous friend, and... There was a misunderstanding in the first interview he had right out of college. So we graduated at the same time. They thought that he had way more experience than he did. And Instead of correcting them, he lied about it and, and boosted up his experience. And because of that, he started off with a $100,000 salary right out of college. He seemed to have won. Even the mob can love their children. They can leave abundance to their children when they pass away. But the world is all that they know. It's all they've ever known. It's all they're living for. Now contrast that to King David. Look with me at verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Instead of putting all his hopes and dreams in this world, he sets his eyes on the world to come. I recently finished the book of Exodus. And the end of Exodus, you read an account where Moses cries out to the Lord and says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God answers, no. You can't see my glory. He says, you can't see my face because any sinful man who sees my face will die. He could not see his face in life. The, the holiness of God was too much for sinful man. But here's the good news of the gospel. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will have glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will be able to see God face to face. Isn't that amazing? We will be able to see God in his glory. That was the hope of King David. Look back at verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. That was his great hope. It should be our great hope as well. I'll conclude this morning by just asking you one last question. Why did King David finish the psalm this way? He'd been talking about deliverance of his enemies. Why talk about the hope of resurrection? Why talk about seeing God face to face? Here's what I think he was doing. King David knew God. He knew the faithfulness of God. And he knew that God would ultimately deliver him from his enemies. But you know what? Each and every delivery that he experienced in his life was just a foreshadow of the ultimate delivery. He knew that he would need to be delivered from his great enemy, sin and death. And King David didn't know exactly how it would happen. But he trusted in God and he knew that he would provide a way. My friends, what King David knew in part, we know in whole. We know that because of Christ, we will find our deliverance of all our enemies. So, as you pray to the Lord, as you experience the trials of this life, make your appeals to the Lord. Appeal to his character, his great compassion. Appeal to even your repentance and your love for Christ. But do so with the hope that Christ has done everything on your behalf. He has provided a way and you will see him face to face. Remember that great hope. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the reminder of holiness, the holiness that Christ has given to us, the holiness that, because of what Christ has done, that we should strive for in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your great love, and we thank you for your love and compassion and pity upon us. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer and share our heart, our motivations with you. But above all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the hope of our final deliverance. Remind us of these great things as we praise, pray, and strip us of our self-reliance and teach us to be reliant on you and you alone. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.